And the motion picture is the most important art film ever devised by the human race. It is the, the art form that creates more empathy than any other. It creates our ability to step out of our own shoes. Hello and welcome to The Great Movies Pod, a retrospective film review show where we discuss the movies featured in Roger Ebert's collection of essays called Great Movies. I'm Nick Fulton. I'm Jana Gardner. And I'm Dylan Cuellar. And today we're going to talk about the fourth film in Roger Ebert's first book, Aguirre the Wrath of God from 1972, loosely based on the real Spanish conquistador Lope de Aguirre as he journeys through the Amazon um, down the river through the South American jungles on the search for the mis- mythical land of El Dorado. It marks the first of five notorious collaborations between writer-director Werner Herzog and actor Klaus Kinski playing the titular role. It also stars Helena Rojo, Rui Guerra, Del Negro, and Peter Burling, was shot by Thomas Mouch and features the music of the band Popol Vuh. It was ranked 90th on the 2012 Sight and Sound poll of the greatest films of all time, including receiving a vote from one Roger Ebert, who named this in his top 10 movies of all time in 2012. It is currently streaming on the Criterion channel. Is this how you guys both watched it? Yes, indeed. No. No, not you? I watched it on Prime. Oh. Oh, I didn't know it was on Prime. Yes, it was. It's very nice. I want Criterion to put an actual release of this because I like having all the bonus features to the other movies we've watched so far. and This one, you had to go digging online for YouTube videos and stuff. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it seems like it could maybe use like a restoration too. Yeah, yeah. Um, We'll start with you, Jana. Mm -hmm. This is the first movie that we're covering so far that you've already seen. Yes, finally. (laughs) Yeah. How did um, revisiting, as opposed to watching for the first time, change your approach? And what were your expectations going into the rewatch? Yeah, I was really excited to rewatch this. I'd been meaning to basically ever since it was on Criterion. Um, My husband had never seen it. And so um, he'd seen Fitzcarraldo and I've seen Fitzcarraldo. Um, But so I was excited to actually now go back and rewatch it. Um, I hadn't seen it in a long time. I first saw this as I've told you guys before in college I had a really cool history professor in college who showed this like as part of a you know Latin American history class basically Um, like you know here's you want a good representation of here's what the conquistadors were like we're gonna watch this movie Um, it was really cool so I was excited to go back and rewatch it and one thing that was good for me this time, this is the first time I've taken notes while watching one of these movies, because since I had seen it before, I was less stressed about, oh, no, if I look away and I don't want to miss anything or, like, sully the experience. Um, so I was able to sort of watch it with a little bit more of a critical eye than just take trying to take it all in for the first time. But holds up. Nice. And Dylan, you'd seen this before, too, correct? Mm-hmm. This is my third time watching it. But um, at least on this time, this is the first time I watched it with someone else. Um, my brother decided to take a homework break and join me for an entire movie, um, which actually watching it with someone else gave me a different reaction to it than I did on my first time watching it, which I'll get into when we talk more about uh, the movie itself, because I had a very different experience with it this time, which was interesting. Great. Um, so we'll start. The movie opens with just a title card explaining. I love this title card, too, because instead of over black, it's over red. Mm-hmm. Um and it says basically this is a story based on real conquistadors and it's um being retold from all that's left is 
the diary of the monk who's on the trip with them. And one thing I love that this title card does is, one, it gives you the idea that all these people did not come back, at least. We don't know whether or not they all died for sure, which we'll get to at the end, but (laughs) certainly they didn't uh, have a lot of claim to fame uh, (laughs) after this. But it also sets out the, the premise that their whole the whole purpose of their journey to find El Dorado, they, they say that it's made up. It's not even a real thing that these guys are looking for. Yeah. So we cut from the title card to what I think is just one of the most masterful opening shots of any movie that I've ever seen. What do you guys think about this uh, opening shot of the, the mountains within the clouds? I mean, I think it's beautiful. I think especially the transition from the title card like you said which is so striking to these opening shots is very um it sort of sets the right mood immediately uh and really puts you in the headspace of sort of this grand epic story that's being told and the all the location shooting and everything here is so impressive and really pays off um i don't know if the people who actually made the movie felt that way (laughs) If it was really, if they thought it was worth it when it was all said and done, but man, from a viewing experience, it it really is. Yeah, the whole time, my brother and I were just like, this would have been hell to make every mm-hmm. second, and the first shot is just such a representation of that of these people in just crazy armor and mm-hmm. garb trying to go down this steep mountain cliffside, and it's just like, oh. I wouldn't even want to do that in, like, exercise, like, <laughs> dress and stuff. Um, yeah. I did leave my Ebert book downstairs. Can I run and grab it? A few moments later. Um, I wanted to grab my Ebert book, though, because there was a great line he wrote where he said, they are dressed for a court pageant and not for mm-hmm. the jungle. Yeah. And it shows just how, like, ridiculous their expedition is on the whole. And then they're, this is too when they're carrying the women in those like, I can't remember, I remember what they're called, litters I think, like the... the sed- ca- they call them sedan chairs. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They're, you know, I mean, and honestly that doesn't even look like it's that much more comfortable. I'd be terrified of being <laughs> in one of those things. Strong note. Yeah, I'd rather walk. I, yeah, honestly, I would feel safer walking. So, uh, like, while we're introduced to these characters, we kind of learn a lot just about what type of people they are they're doing not only a ridiculous trek through this place that seems incredibly dangerous just walking through but like you said they're not dressed for the occasion at all they're carrying people around uh like the the more noble people are being carried around and the women are being carried on these chairs and it to me like just sets up the folly of the whole idea of going on this journey like what are they doing it's so Mm -hmm. it's so absurd that they're even trying to do this but they're doing it in the worst way oh yeah so i'll just start to get into it like the thing that i had on this rewatch that was different from all the other times i've seen it was like the folly of what they were doing was always always apparent but it was never as like actively funny for me unless except this time watching it with someone else and just like we were actively laughing out loud through a lot of the movie of just like how dumb and stupid these people were in every sort of way. And I think it really starts with this scene where they're just like clambering with the women on these chairs. You're like, what the heck? Yeah. It didn't make any sense. Yeah, I think it was outwardly 
more laughable than I remembered from my first watching. Okay. Also, yeah, I, I, I feel had a better similar, about that because I was no, like, I had a similar oh, reaction no. that it seems watching it this time, not not and not like laughing at it. I, I think if anything, it's intentional. Like it, it just jumped mm-hmm. out more how completely ridiculous this is. Mm-hmm. I think I've seen three of the five uh, collaborations between Herzog and Kinski. Uh, so this fits Geraldo and. Um, Nosferatu and I feel like they're all that's like not even outright comedies but they're all supposed to be kind of amusing at how ridiculous Mm -hmm. a lot of the situations are but especially this one like almost everything Aguirre says I think is (laughs) not laugh out loud funny but still like pretty funny like Like funny enough to to chuckle yeah Yeah. and I I took a lot of (laughs) screenshots of of things that I found to be quote worthy uh, that have been like littering my my Instagram <laughs> feed recently, uh, awesome. but we'll we'll get to the yeah we'll get to that. Um, so we're also introduced to the score by Popovu pretty early on, which um, I think the score is fantastic. It's so moody and like rhythmic. It, it I think it complements the atmosphere of the jungle very well. What mm-hmm. do you guys think? Yeah, I totally agree. It's really atmospheric. Um, you know, and it kind of jumped out at me right away because it's not necessarily the score that you might expect when the movie first is starting. Um, you know, typically in big epic movies, you have these like big epic scores and, you know, symphonies and, you know, more of a classical kind of genre. And it doesn't go for that at all. It goes for this very, like I said, atmospheric, moody, sort of just like moaning sounds um, That's real. that really, really worked for me. Yeah, um, and something I liked about the score was it was pretty sparsely used. It was mm-hmm. mainly to set the tone for like yeah. a new region they venture to or a mm-hmm. new um, plot development that is happening. It's not like a constant score that accompanies these people throughout the the course of the movie. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, what like one of my first notes was like this: the score is amazing, and um, I liked the section in the Ebert book where. He says Werner Herzog directly told him, which I liked that he was almost mm-hmm. like humble bragging there, like, "Oh, I was t- I was talking to Werner." Ebert he does was... that all the time in these <laughs> essays. Well, when I was at the premiere, when mm-hmm. I spoke to Werner Herzog, it's like, "Okay, mm-hmm. good for you." Thank, thank you. I would do that too. If, I, I would. If too. I, <laughs> I'm if, not I, if I ever meet, if I ever meet Herzog, you guys are never going to hear the end of it. <laughs> um, just go to Orlando to do that. If you guys have seen yeah. Parks and Recreation. Oh, yeah. I forgot yeah, about right. him in that. We have to talk about oh, just a little bit about like the cult of, oh. of Herzog now. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. I, I love him as a pop culture figure. Um, mm-hmm. Nick, we talked about the, the Paul of Tompkins impression, which is just, it's hard for me to hear in my head what Herzog actually sounds like as opposed to that version of him. Um, and it also has ruined anything that Herzog tries to do, like, sincerely mm-hmm. for me. Uh, a few years ago, I went to, um, I lived just a couple miles from the Getty Museum in Los Angeles, and I went over there one weekend, and there was this art installation that Herzog was, like, a part of. I don't know exactly what his role was, but it was a art installation, video room, and just, like, images of trees and things with a Herzog narration about, you know kind of stuff he's always saying like the power of you know universe and nature and everything (laughs) and 
Matt and I almost had to get up and walk out because we just started laughing and it was not supposed to be funny. I'm like, oh, poor Werner Herzog is, you know, doing his thing and I'm just sitting here cracking up because he seems like a sketch comedy character. Um, but it's great. I love I love his whole vibe. Yeah, and ironically, like, I had watched the Parks and Rec episode just accidentally, like, two days before I watched the movie. Oh, and so I was just enjoying that. And he has a great voice. And you guys sent me the Paul of Tompkins thing because I had yeah. never heard of his Werner Herzog, but he does a great impression. And I like how Werner Herzog reacted to it pretty well. Yeah. He, he almost kind of understands mm-hmm. how ridiculous his voice and his persona is to a point. Mm-hmm. And I think that's another thing that is built on the cult of personality of Werner Herzog. Yeah, and I think Paul of Tompkins might have been my gateway into knowing who Herzog is, uh, just from like the old comedy Bang Bang bits. But as as ridiculous as Tompkins' version of Herzog is, it's really not that exaggerated compared to anything in Burden of Dreams. Like it's, <laughs> it's 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 almost just a it, like. It's not a cartoonish caricature. It's just a a depiction of the man. (laughs) Yeah, which just seems comical based on whatever context it's in. But yeah, it really is. Mm -hmm. It's no more ridiculous than how he goes about himself. And then, you know, I love any opportunity to see him acting, like whether it's Parks and Rec or in The Mandalorian. Oh, yeah. What is the, like, cheesy action movie that he's the best? Is it? Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit? Yeah, it, or is it, it is a, Jack Ryan. Is that the one the, where he's the villain? It's the, the Tom the Cruise one. Or, or the... No, oh, no. Oh, not no, Jack, Jack Reacher. Reacher. Jack Reacher. Okay, Thank I get you. those yes, two mixed up all the time. One. Yeah, I know. Sorry, my bad. I, was, I couldn't remember what cheesy action movie it is, but I love that he'll show up in a cheesy action movie just, like, being a bad guy, because, I don't know, I guess he likes it. <laughs> yeah. There's There was an old, like, improvised comedy movie from maybe 15 years ago and it was all centered around like it, it was when poker was popular so maybe 20 years ago um <laughs> and it was called the grand and he, herzog played a character who was a poker pro and if i remember right the his shtick was that for good luck he would kill a rabbit every time he played <laughs> sure <laughs> oh, god it was very strange yeah anyways on to uh, uh i have a back, quick question to, though because um, oh, yeah, yeah. i've never seen burden of dreams um what did Hmm. and it sounds like you two have right Mm -hmm. what was he like on set in that movie because that's based off him making Fitzcarraldo, and uh i don't really know what it's like he was a kind of a combination of agira and Fitzcarraldo. (laughs) yeah (laughs) oh god yeah it does not seem like a pleasant experience uh for really anybody involved and and not not the least because they were dragging that boat over that mountain (laughs) Yeah, I don't know if uh, Fitzgerald is one of these movies, but we'll just touch on Burden of Dreams real quickly. Burden of Dreams might be one of these movies. I actually like that better than Fitzgerald, but uh, Fitzgerald is about this character who's a maniac and he wants to carry a boat over the mountains. And you think, oh, like, what what a crazy thing to do. Mm-hmm. But in Burden of Dreams, it's also about a maniac who wants to carry right. this boat over the mountain. <laughs> that's, yeah, I, that's my favorite thing about like Fitzgerald. I'm not even sure if I like the movie i mean i like the movie but if i like it so much as i just love the fact that he did that like that this is a movie that Mm -hmm. exists yeah we're exactly about how it's only a crazy person would try to do this and he's like okay so to make the movie that's what we're gonna do yeah all right so back to uh this jungle um (laughs) so the plot kind of starts where um the leader of the conquistadors is named pizarro and he holds this big 
team meeting. <laughs> and they basically say, we're running out of food. We're running out of rations. We don't really know where we're going or how long it's going to take to get there. So we're going to separate a number of the men. They say 40 men. We're going to build some rafts. We're going to send them to get food and information from the natives about how to get to El Dorado. And they have a week to do this. Otherwise, like the men have to turn back at that point. Mm -hmm. So after he forms this team of uh, 40 men, he puts Don Pedro de Ursua, who I think most of the movie from that on, they just call him Ursua. Uh, he's the commander of this mission, and Lope de Aguirre is second in command. Uh, brother Gaspar, who is the monk, goes with them to try to convert people. And then um, they have a handful of uh, native slaves who go with them, and then Ursua's wife and Aguirre's young daughter, who's 15. Along with the nobleman, becomes important later. Yes. Oh, the, yeah. The, I'm like, who? Guy. Oh, that, that guy. <laughs> is it at this point where he's just like off eating by himself? Yeah, and he's eating yeah. on the top of a, it, cannonball, a, a cannon. Yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> some literal big dick energy. Yeah. Genuinely yeah. on screen. <laughs> Did they explain why the wife and daughter are there? Like why they even came at all for this absolutely terrible idea? No, they do. I think it's Pizarro who does allude to like, now I don't think the women should be going on this trip, but, (laughs) but they've already gone this far on the trip. Yeah. Yeah. But they're going to go anyway. I I think he says with, yeah, I think he says both times, like it's against my better judgment. Right. And they're going to be dressed like in the most ridiculous, like they're going to, you know, talk about like the pageantry of court or what have you. Like they are dressed like they are going to go see the king not like they're going to be traipsing through the jungle it was i was so distracted basically every time they were on screen and they had the collars and the whole thing i was like oh god so miserable (laughs) how terrible it looks so hot it looks awful yeah did you guys um catch what day they left on specifically (sighs) i did not know Mm-mm. It's the last day of the year. Oh, that's right. I, so I do it, remember one, because they start counting the days after that. Yeah. Yeah. And so that so gives us years. like a really good track of like how long they've been at each point when um, the uh, it's like Brother Carvajal. Is that his name? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. His mm-hmm. uh, his diary entries really help right. kind of take a, a number of how far they've gone and how long right. they've been. But also, if only this movie was set a week earlier. We could have had ourselves a damn Christmas movie. <laughs> yeah, Christmas I know. Movie. So close. <laughs> I was like, no. Yeah, I, I forgot that. Yeah, it's they start on New Year's, basically. So it is helpful that way by the time it's, you know, if it's like February, you're like, okay, I know how, how much time's gone by. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I think we're 300 years too early for it to be a baseball movie. <laughs> yes, yeah. just about. <laughs> so uh, the team all get onto rafts and they go down the Amazon River. Uh, where they run into a bunch of rapids. It doesn't look very safe. And one of the rafts has seven soldiers and two slaves, so nine guys on it. And it basically just gets stuck along the banks, like Mm -hmm. at one part where the river's really choppy. It sounds like they're just kind of stuck against the wall of the river. I think it's like maybe supposed to be a whirlpool kind, like the current is churning or something Mm -hmm. and they can't get out of it. But yeah, they just get stuck. Well, they mentioned it's an eddy, and I looked up what an eddy okay. was, and it's when um, the river, um, given the current that it's going, it 
starts to flow the opposite way. Okay. So, so. basically, oh. they'll be going one way, and then I'll get to the part where it's reverse, where the current's going the opposite way, and it's just they're going to be stuck going back and forth almost. Gotcha. Between okay. these two that opposing makes, currents. Yeah, that makes sense because there's uh, one guy who says, "Oh, like they must feel sick. They've just been going like around in circles all night." Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah, because when you're watching it, it does look like they're just sort of stuck up against the side of the river. Like, <laughs> how did that mm. happen? Yeah. So Ursua wants to rescue them, so they send men out. And my understanding was they send men, like, basically traveling on the other side. They somehow, like, th- this part I didn't really get the geography of, of where they're going. They're sending men across the river so that they can go down and get them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I Great so. plan. But while they're waiting at night... Um, they see some explosions. Which I would thought was so funny. Yeah. Just in the background, just boom. Yeah. It's a big huge... fireball. Yeah. I, and everyone's I, just I, like, I wonder if they're okay. Right. <laughs> yeah. And then I did, had the similar sort of like meta line of thinking again, where as soon as that happened, I was like, oh my God, Herzog really just blew something up, didn't he? Like, just, <laughs> just decided to just blow shit up in this jungle. That wasn't some like matte painting or overlay right. of some small thing. Yeah. No, they blew oh, no. a big that hole in was that river. An explosion. Yeah. So the next morning, they see that all of the men who are still there are dead, and then a few of them are missing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, what is your guys's read on what happened? Do you think it is an attack from the natives, or do you think it's something more internal, perhaps? Yeah, I mean, definitely, I think when you're watching it the first time, it feels like, oh, okay, well, this is dangerous, and they must have gotten attacked or kidnapped. As the journey goes on, and maybe when you're watching it again, you think, hmm, I don't know, (laughs) someone might be already plotting here and and up to no good. Um, I think, I mean, the the explosion is, to me, what's really interesting, because it does, like you said, just comes out of nowhere, it's this huge explosion. Uh, It definitely feels calculated yeah and the men i think had guns but mm-hmm. they i i don't remember a cannon on that raft no i don't either i feel like i would have remembered seeing a big cannon but we see what happens later when they shoot a cannon yes <laughs> uh that the other men have there's a big explosion mm-hmm. and that, that happens like five minutes after they find the bodies right and we and we do see what happens in other scenes when the indigenous people you know, level an attack, and mm-hmm. it's not a big fireball explosion. <laughs> it's you know spears and darts and things. Yeah, yeah. Um, one thing I like is Ebert writes, "How did they die?" I have an idea, but so do you. That was one of my favorite mm-hmm. quotes from the book, yeah. and it really applies to like we don't ever fully know what happens, but we all have our own kind of separate idea, mainly right. based around Aguirre slash his. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, Aguirre had his almost own second command, the guy that was humming all the, the whole time. Really annoying dude. Mm. Um, he or Aguirre or someone loyal to Aguirre like that definitely yeah. had some part of blowing that boat up. Yeah, I like that there's a lot of instances of that through the movie, that it, it lends to that sense of foreboding where there's a lot of sequences or scenes where you can imagine what probably happened, but so much of it happens off screen and you don't see it and it makes it creepier mm-hmm. than if you even saw what was going on. That's one thing I absolutely love about the way this movie unfolds is that he doesn't make things that obvious. Right. Um, he, 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 there's like such an air of mystery to so ma- like so many of the steps in, in the way the story is told. Mm-hmm. And um, 
something else that I like is he doesn't have to like force the plot every single step to have something like going on. I'm glad that a lot of the movie is just them kind of standing around waiting for the next thing to happen, having like no idea. Like the absolute like bore trap they're in is hilarious. Like mm-hmm. when um I think it's around this point where like Aguirre's just like standing around and he hands his daughter like a baby sloth. And it's <laughs> Oh yeah. I wrote A plus sloth content. That was oh, like, great. that was a real highlight for me when the sloth showed up. <laughs> and then there's just the guy that's um playing music on that flute that seems completely mm-hmm. broken. Yep, love it. And, and Aguirre's just standing there like totally not feeling the music, and then he's mm-hmm. like, keep playing. Yeah, exactly. Um I will say one one thing you just said reminded me of the Ebert quote I really liked in his write-up. Where he says, Herzog does not hurry their journey or fill it with artificial episodes of suspense and action. What we feel above all is the immensity of the river and the surrounding forest, Um, you know, and goes on from there. But yeah, it's not like one dramatic episode after the next. A lot of times it is standing around going, okay, well, now what? And then you have sequences like with that guy being berated into keep on playing his pan flute <laughs> that poor guy i know i love the pan flute music though and i love how it contrasts so like the popol vu score is so ominous mm-hmm. and foreboding sounding and then the the pan flute is just like <laughs> the pe- the peppiest instrument you could right. ever invent yeah. oh i had one other note in this scene um which is related to a discussion we had i guess it was last week uh where i this is where i started going is everyone dubbed again? Is this another movie where everybody's <laughs> dubbed? Um, and so I looked it up, and at least according to Wikipedia, yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> they actually recorded dialogue in English, and then we're like, yeah, you know what? Never mind. It should be in German. So the first time I watched this movie, it was, um, I think it was the end of 2017 or 2018. It was one of the last, I, I forget exactly when it uh, went away, but it was one of the last movies I watched on filmstruck oh sure yeah yeah so when i watched it there i don't know if they had redubbed it after dubbing it in german or if this was the original audio track but the first time i saw it was not in german it was in english see that's okay i'm glad you said that because i'm sure that when i watched it in college it was in english like i don't it was weird Mm. enough that our professor was like you're gonna watch this warner herzog movie in a history class but there's just no way that we all sat and watched a two-hour-long German-language movie. So when I was watching it this time, I'm like, mm-hmm. wow, I just don't remember it being in German. Like, what a weird trick my brain played on me. So I feel better knowing that I probably did see it in English the first time. I'd be curious to see, like, the release of the English dub and the German dub and see how that compares and stuff. I know you can find a clip uh, just, like, looking online because I've watched this scene a number of times but the speech that he makes at the end like the crazy speech about where he's the wrath Mm -hmm. of god there's that in english um and and i think it plays much better in german i know that i said uh last week when we were talking about eight and a half that the dubbing stuff doesn't really bother me um sometimes it does apparently (laughs) because i i remember like it's just it's it's still great writing, but the delivery doesn't work as well as uh, hearing it in the German. And I'm assuming it's Kinski doing it in his actual voice. I'm I'm guessing that he dubbed himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it yeah it was it was fine, but like I say it was it was distracting a couple of times though. Just again the thing like an eight and a half where I was like, wait, they're saying different words, but it didn't stick out as much. Actually, I stopped noticing it pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. So um, they. 
they decide to blow up the raft or or Agira has somebody blow up the raft because um Ursua wants the men to have like a proper burial which seems like if you don't care about them getting a proper burial it's a waste of time and energy mm-hmm. so to me that shows that Agira is ruthless and is opposed to what seems like most of these other people he doesn't care about proselytizing he's more of a heretic he considers himself you know the wrath of god rather than somebody who needs to be subservient yeah, he's crazy yeah <laughs> and it man yeah. and manifest well and it manifests himself you know really early too i mean even before it gets to the end where he has sort of overtly taken control and everything's gone completely to hell like mm-hmm. yeah, it's even in these sort of small moments where the other people on the journey are trying to maintain sort of basic civilization <laughs> uh he just is, he's got no time for that he is totally trying mm-hmm. to play the game of thrones this whole movie <laughs> i would have loved to see oh yeah he definitely in like the um uh like the lannister family or something trying to play it and try to like take land from the tyrells or someone that would have yeah. been great i will say speaking of humorous moments uh i think it's right around this part where um someone gets sucked up into what I can only think of as an Ewok trap <laughs> where there's walking oh, yes. and then the rope thing and he goes lifted up by the ankle. I laughed so hard. And I mean, it's a funny just sort of whoop image to begin with, but then I just so clearly associate it with like Ewoks that it was very funny to me. Yeah. And then they never bring it up again. No. So following that, the where they blow up the raft, it seems like, I forget what her name is, but um, Ursua's wife has already figured out exactly what's going on. Mm-hmm. And she basically says, you know, something needs to be done about him because he, if he does this, he's going to keep doing mm-hmm. untoward things, uh, which happens pretty much right away. The men start, um, he, he basically commands the men, Agira commands the men to collect wood and forge nails. And Ursu was like, why are you guys doing this? And the men say, oh, Agira told us to do this. And then he never questions so it. So this is where, yeah. Oh, that was so funny too. Oh my God, they're so dumb. So this is where there's like a, a fracture uh, within the group where Ursua at this point decides that they should retreat to the main group. Um, but most of this faction of men think that um, if they try to go back, they're going to get killed. And at this point, if we assume that that attack was by Agira or under Agira's orders and not by natives there's not really any reason for them to be any more worried about turning back than going forward. Right. Like it's possible that that area is relatively uninhabited mm-hmm. as far as they know. Yeah. yeah. But then, the, but that's another would have, you know, good reason for Agira to maybe have pulled that stunt, right. Is to make them afraid. Right. So that to keep them moving forward, say, mm, can't go in the jungle. It's too dangerous. Got to keep going. Mm-hmm. He pulled so many stunts in this movie. <laughs> he does pull a lot of stunts. He really does. He, he really like Re rewatching this, and I, I didn't get um, this that sense the first time as much, but every single thing he does is so calculated. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And it works pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, he almost pulls it off. <laughs> well. Yeah. I guess it, as well as it right. could. Yeah. Yeah. Really. If if there was an El Dorado. Right. Exactly. He succeeds, but then ultimately he's just still in the middle of the 
you know, rainforest. <laughs> yeah, and the fact that, like, it's common knowledge now that, like, El Dorado is not a real thing, and this is completely mm-hmm. a fictional idea. Every mm-hmm. time they would bring out, like, how cool it's going to be to chill in El Dorado yeah. in just a couple of days. That was so funny to me. I laughed every time they said the word El Dorado, honestly. It was just like, you guys are so dumb. Why? Did, did you guys see, a couple of years ago, uh, Lost City of Z, the James Gray movie? Didn't, but I really want to. Yes. It's, I really liked it. I don't know, Nick, if you liked it. I really mm-hmm. liked it. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. And, I thought it was very yeah, good. And it's another one where I don't want, I can't say, oh, I was watching this and it reminded me of you know a movie that came out 40 years later. Uh, but it's another story about basically... Searching for basically El Dorado, Lost City, um, and you know, spoiler alert, also doesn't work out very well. Um, it never works out well for anybody who tries to do this, or, or does it? Or, <laughs> or does, does it? it. Indiana <laughs> yeah. Jones. That's true. That's a good point. That shitty movie. <laughs> or a movie I saw uh, last year called Dora the Explorer. <laughs> oh yeah, forgot that that's what the Dora movie. <laughs> yeah. She goes looking for the lost city in the jungle. Good for Dora. Does she find it, or does she does she also uh, <laughs> get into a uh, power, power struggles and shot out with poison arrows? Yes. Her and Diego really uh, <laughs> breaks down. All of the above. Excellent. She chops off Diego's head while he's counting. <laughs> that would make sense in a Dora movie, honestly. I was trying to remember why I had written down in all capital letters 10 in my oh, notes. 10. And I could, I'm sitting here going, God, I watched this a week ago. Why did I write that down? And then as soon as you said that, I'm like, oh, right. That's why I wrote that down. It's the best. That's it's my favorite thing in all of cinema. <laughs> um, so so uh, one thing, like, we're, we're talking about how, how um, like, calculated and how, like, really much more savvy Agira is than all of the other men. Um but what I think this movie is about uh, really is that despite all that, he's still com- completely like out of his element. Mm-hmm. Like even even with his smarts, even with his ruthlessness and cunning um, and the power that he's holding with these men, he just has no shot. And that's that's what I think the, the whole movie is about, like his hubris and like by extension, white people's mm-hmm. hubris um, trying to conquer these places that uh, they shouldn't have any business conquering and um them suffering at the hands of that yeah and i think a good place that comes up is like it's probably the next scene where um the is it the daughter or is it the wife of ursua that's talking to one of the um slaves and he talks about how he used to be a prince and now he's in chains Mm -hmm. and how they are like dying and their land is being taken and it's such that was probably the most sobering moment in the movie like the movie like really understood how sad it is that there's these people that are going to come in here and have no business being in there they're going to get themselves killed they're going to get the people that are actually living there killed they're going to destroy the land and it's just so sad that that part was tough Mm -hmm. right and and ultimately for nothing right like that's kind of what nick was saying was that you know you have these big plans and this grand scheme and to the you know to the extent that he's quote unquote successful because he keeps the journey going and vanquishes his rivals but it's it's futile like ultimately they're just it was for nothing in the end but just bringing death and destruction 
to this place. Yeah, it, success, I guess, is relative. Like, he, he manages to get more power than everyone mm-hmm. else uh, that's ultimately meaningless. <laughs> right. So, as speaking of him getting power, um, he, he basically, when Ursua wants to go back to the main group, Agura says, Sh- uh, shit on Pizarro, we can conquer without him. <laughs> and then he alludes to, he gives, like, this big speech about how Cortez was told to turn around but he didn't and conquered mexico instead mm-hmm. and um ursua says no we're not going to listen to you i'm in charge arrest him and about two seconds later <laughs> he gets yeah. shot by who i, I don't know i mean it, yeah he he just happens to get <laughs> shot like agira seems to have pretty good control i guess and then no one's aiming a gun at him at all when the camera pans over I was so confused. Here's a question that I had is mostly in this scene, but throughout the movie, which is why do so many of the guys seem to follow Aguirre when these are their options? It's, I mean, it's, he has, I guess, a sort of charisma in the technical sense. I don't really think of, you know, it's, it's a kind of scary charisma, but I'm, it's just interesting to me that the anyone in this group would choose to follow him as opposed to just aligning with the more reasonable guy and saying, no, God, no, thank you. Because gold. I guess, just greed, yeah. And also a very strong standing gate from Aguirre, <laughs> yeah. the whole movie. My brother asked, like, I, did, I never looked this up. I don't know if you guys know, but was Klaus Kaninsky in stage plays at all before this? Because he was like, that is such a strong pose. Mm-hmm. Like, only a stage play actor would even try that. There's, like, a reason why he was doing it. And I looked it up, and now I can't remember what oh, it really? was. But there is some sort of, like, backstory-related reason with why he was standing that, that way. But it's, it's a choice, the way he moves throughout the entire choice. movie. Yeah, his pose. I love how Ebert says it looks like he constantly can't bend one of his knees. <laughs> yeah. And even when he's walking he's around, he's able angle. to keep this, like, oh, my God. Yeah. Do you know what he reminds me of, actually, is, do you guys remember the Rolling Stones music video for Start Me Up? Yes. It's it's oh. it's Mick Jagger um, in basically, like, 80s workout clothes. It's, like, yeah. either a purple shirt and white pants or vice versa. They used to play it before, like, on the, on the big screen at the start of, like, every uh, – Cleveland baseball game so I've oh, seen it sure. so I've seen it a million times but it's just Mick Jagger like dancing to camera and it reminded me so much of or Aguirre the way he moves around reminded me so much of that for me I actually I had a very strong like um uh Aguirre comparison which was um he uh reminded me a lot of Smeagol in some yes. ways from the Lord of the Rings series I, I thought that like too. he had this weird face and um weird voice i will say um a quick wikipedia research update uh kinski definitely had a background on stage and even more specifically as like a monologuist uh you know mm. so i i think 100 percent like he brings that energy of uh you know someone who can just hold a weird pose and command the stage yeah monologuist and spoken word artist according to wikipedia which now makes much more sense. Right, exactly. So that fits with the vibe. Are you good, Nick? Yeah, I'm good. Sorry, my kid busted in here. Uh, I was going to oh, say, that's I was so like, cute. We talking to some, someone down below. I was like, hey, but can yeah, you... he. Oh, go ahead. It doesn't matter. <laughs> you have to, to please just. <laughs> but yeah, uh, 
he looked and sounded a lot like Smeagol to me mm-hmm. from Lord of the Rings. Um, especially his face. Like, it's just a really weird, white, yeah. contorted face. And I think it's also because my parents were watching Return of the King the other night. And I walked in. He, his gait was also very similar to Gothmog the orc who leads the orc um, army mm-hmm. in the third movie. Sure. Where he's got this, like, twisted arm. And he's got it up by its side, and he, like, walks around with this, like, deformed leg. And it's like, yeah, that looks like a Geary. So now I can only see him as an orc Smeagol mix. So <laughs> that's me. He has that energy for sure. For sure. So after um, uh, Ursua gets shot, mm-hmm. so this is really the other uh, reason. I, I don't think it's just greed uh, why the men are following Agira. And maybe he does inspire them, too. But what I think it mostly is, is him bullying them. And mm-hmm. they think yeah. it's like, maybe they think it's dangerous to go with him, but they mm-hmm. also think it's probably more dangerous to try to turn against him because yeah. when, when they go to elect Guzman, who is the guy who's, he's the, he's the rusty of the Ocean's <laughs> Eleven crew. <laughs> yeah. Oh the dude who's God. just, who's just eating all the, t- like every yep. time you see him, he's eating. Yep. So Agura when he starts to say we need to elect a new leader, I think you're supposed to think he's going to say himself, but he names yeah. he names this guy instead, and the guy looks so like <laughs> feckless. Like he oh, yeah. he just he looks so useless. Mm-hmm. Well, I but, think that's why he did it. Like Agiri, yeah, right, right. He he can't go that hard into power without a re- revolution, so he'll elect this dummy who he can control um so and it's a very smart play that's like a Mm -hmm. that's one of those moves in chess where you put like an exclamation point next to it and you're like when you when you're taking notes do either of you play chess i know the rules (laughs) i have played Uh, once or twice (laughs) uh, well well, if if you're taking notes and playing a chess game if there's a shocking move that like is like oh that's gonna turn the tide of the game you put like an exclamation or no that's check or i don't remember Anyway, something like that. <laughs> Where you have to make it. Yeah. Well, it's also one of sort of the oldest political moves in the book, right? Is mm-hmm. is sure. having a sort of a pawn, having someone who's not very bright as as the quote unquote leader, while you actually pull all the strings from the side. That guy's one big pawn. Yeah, he's a big he's a, pawn. It's a real, real Dick Cheney move here by uh, yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. Gira, <laughs> pretty much. I, I love uh, I love the way this scene is staged though because Agira isn't even the one who um like formally nominates him. He just mm. stares at people until <laughs> until one guy nominates him and he stares at everyone else and then like it's as he turns his his uh his head it's like they're doing the wave. Like nobody mm. nobody votes for they're him. They're so slow. Nobody yeah. votes for him until he turns towards them. I do think we've answered now my question, though. I think you're totally right. Because if he stared at me like that, I probably would just give in and say, yeah, 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 okay. <laughs> I think we figured out why. Yeah, it's just the fear element. Oh, and that scene was just a riot, too, of just how much, like, they were like, no, this guy's mm-hmm. an idiot. Yeah. But like, no, I don't want to go against Nagiri. They yeah. put they, they do, like, the small hand up, like, yeah, Oh, I guess. we've all felt that at some point right. in, like, elementary school. Yeah. Question here: We haven't really talked at all about the the monk character yet. The you know mm-hmm. person who's oh also to play diary. Um, he was a very, I mean, interesting. I think you know, strange mm-hmm. character to me, definitely. And I don't know 
why this is, but I, for some reason I was like, oh, well, he's like the monk character, so he's probably going to be a, a good person, right? He's religious. And I was like, oh, right. I Now I remember, you know, how colonialism worked <laughs> and these absolute zealots who came and just destroyed people uh, in the, you know, quote unquote name of God. Uh, he was a, like, he's up there with Aguirre in the ruthlessness. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, level. He was an intense guy who just gets worse and worse as it goes on. Yeah, one of my favorite yeah. lines of the movie, um, which other other than all the crazy things that Aguirre says, is when Ursua's wife is talking to him and she wants help so that he doesn't, mm-hmm. so that Ursua doesn't get killed. Mm-hmm. And the monk says, for the good of our Lord, the church was always on the side of the strong. And that's mm-hmm. just like the the most yep. biting that's indictment of damning. the church. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, speaking of like that, when you're in that part of it, um, I assumed that definitely the first time I saw it, and even now I had forgotten when Ursua gets shot, I, I'm thinking, well, that's it. Like he's, he's dead. He's been shot in the middle of this jungle. Oh I actually God. forgot that he really hangs in there for a while and is kind of. They have to fine. kill him again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm like, he, they actually have to really put him through. <laughs> yeah, actually being executed later on. Uh, I love how the rest of the movie, he's just like, I'm not even going to do anything. I'm well, not going to talk. I'm I'm just going to sit here. Right. I do I'm like his, his being done where he's like, no, I'm not talking. I'm just, yeah. <laughs> you That's shot me. I'm mood. just here. Yeah, it was. Yeah, he doesn't die from the gunshot wound. He dies with the gunshot wound. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I also love uh, in the scene where, um, just going going back like a couple of minutes to when um, Agira has Guzman nominated, they nominate him second in command and he doesn't even like as he's doing it, he just walks away. He doesn't even care. Right. It's it's like the the building blowing up behind him, and he's exactly just, he's just walking away. Oh, <laughs> his work here is done. Yeah. So, um, Ursua and one of his men are in like this little prison thing, and I, I guess it's, it's the, the next prison. Yeah, I, I guess it's the next day. Um, Armando, who's one of the men, escapes and kills mm. the guard. And Agira tells Guzman that Ursua has to be killed or he won't be safe. Is this another one of those instances that you guys, like, we don't see Armando escape? I actually hadn't thought about it until just now. I think I had just because, like Dylan was saying, it was such an obviously janky prison that they, Mm -hmm. in my head, I'm like, well, yeah, of course someone just kicked their way out of there and, and made a run for it. But I actually wouldn't be surprised. You're right if that also wasn't part of the orchestration to be like, no, see, we we have to kill him. We can't keep him in prison. It's not safe. Like that, that really does play into the narrative very well for Aguirre. Um, I think it's it's less likely that Aguirre did it than maybe the raft that blew up. Mm-hmm. But I still think Aguirre totally orchestrated that. Yeah. That would, especially because of how much power it gave him to right. try to have Ursua executed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, but it's another great example of something happening off screen. And so, you know, you can't know for sure, but you can imagine what might have happened. And you can feel like maybe what, you know, the characters felt like to be like, these mysterious things are happening and we don't know what's going on. Yeah, and it's either like... There's an outside force that is super dangerous to us mm-hmm. now, either Indians or an escaped prisoner, mm-hmm. and we must trust Agiri the strongman to get us through it, or Agiri the strongman did it, and we don't want to end up like right, those people yeah, that died. <laughs> no good options. 
there's another mystery at this point too that I I just have like I don't I don't know at all I don't have any I don't have a single theory, um, and I don't think they ever explain it unless I must unless I miss something. Um, Ursua when he's in prison is holding on to something like he has his hand oh. clenched oh, yeah. around yeah, something. Clenched. Do we ever find out what that is or like even a hint as to what that might be? I don't think so. Not that I remember. I so, yeah, I remember like that whole scene and the sort of emphasis on his clenched hand and not showing what's in it, but I don't remember ever finding out what it was. Is it a totem? Mm. It's a top? Yeah, exactly. That's how uh. he knows he's in the real world. <laughs> it's a way to die. All right. So then um, they hold a trial of some sort. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Seems a bit on like Quote, not, trial. Not, yeah. yeah, not the fairest of trials, maybe. And they try to put the emperor, the emperor, mm-hmm. um, quote unquote, on a like a Game of Thrones throne. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but instead of like <laughs> swords, it's like these like random branches they pulled off so some is tree he in, in the background. In that scene behind me or not? Maybe not yet. Um, yeah, I did enjoy that sort of the hoops they jumped through to pretend. To sort of mm-hmm. give the trappings of, yeah, he's the emperor. I like earlier on, too, he, I think it's right after um, they nominate Guzman or they crown him. And they say, oh, get on your throne. And he's like, that's not a throne. And <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think they say he, a throne is just a plank covered in velvet. Right. <laughs> oh, I just also enjoyed that he takes to the part so quickly for this guy. Like he's, he's so feckless. He's just kind of there. Mm-hmm. And then once he, you know, becomes the emperor, then all of a sudden it's like, that's not a throne. It's like, okay, buddy, you're also yeah. not really an emperor, but here we are. Sure. So um, Gaspar the monk is apparently the, the judge too, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. Um, to, he to, calls himself the jury, <laughs> which is even funnier. Yeah. He declares Arsua guilty of treason, which, how is that treasonous? Yeah, I, I, yeah. <laughs> it's a good question. I mean, I know they don't like him, but. Right. They had disagreement. Picked a charge out of a hat there, yeah. So they sentence him to death by hanging. Mm-hmm. And Guzman says, yes, I concur. And yet, to commemorate the. <laughs> Commemorate the anniversary of the last Moor leaving Spain. He's going to grant clemency. And Aguirre just goes like, the fuck you do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're going to do what That now? is the funniest head turn. Yeah. You can almost hear it like the whoosh sound when he turns his head. <laughs> right. Well, and it is more of that, you know, all of a sudden he's buying his own, you know, role here. He's really buying into, oh, I do have the power, so I'm going to do this magnanimous thing. It's like, oh. No, this is not what you were put in place to do. Yeah. And it's like Aguirre also, when you talked about him, like, walking away with his back to the explosion in the voting seat, he yeah. almost, like, prepares to do that as and he, that like, like declares execution. And he just, like, whips her out. Yeah. <laughs> like, come on, man. You had one job. Right. Yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. Be feckless, man. Yeah. I mean, we say he's feckless. That being said... Probably should have been granted clemency, in fairness. Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, oh yeah. no doubt. <laughs> in, in terms of what is right and just. Yes. But not for, like, the more of the leaving of Spain or yeah, whatever it was. that was very funny to me. Oh, it was the dumbest thing. <laughs> yeah. So they, they travel down the river some more after that. Mm-hmm. Um, and they... 
Is it they see a fire off in the woods? I think mm. so, yeah. Yeah. And before going up there, they th- one of the slaves that they have, they have a bunch of um, native slaves and they have mm-hmm. one black slave. Mm-hmm. And they strip him down because apparently either the natives are or they believe the natives are afraid of black people and mm-hmm. horses, we learn yeah. a little bit mm-hmm. later. So they follow him up and um, when they get onto land, they get to this little village and this is the first scene, at least that I remember, even though we've seen like Guzman eating a lot, mm-hmm. we don't really get the sense that the men are starving or right. like hungry until they get to this little village and there's a bunch of bananas on the table mm-hmm. and all the men like <coughs> make a beeline for it and a year just like kind of beats them away. Yeah. <laughs> it was really funny. Yeah. And then they find a... What does he beat them with, though? I don't remember. Yeah, I can't remember. It looked like he was beating them with the broad side of the sword. <laughs> well, that's probably right. <laughs> and then some of the other men, like, find a wild hog. I can't remember if they if it shows them eating it or not, but I know they're like... They drag it away, and I was like, I don't need to see an animal die on right. screen right now. Yeah. But, uh, you know, so... Thank God. <laughs> I've watched, sadly, like too many movies that have a bunch of animal deaths on screen. So I was really glad they <laughs> cut away from that one. Yeah. Yeah, we see enough bad. I mean, I was so stressed about that horse later on, too. Uh, we get very oh. stressed with oh, yeah. these poor animals. My brother was almost like <laughs> I know. in distress. Yeah, th- yeah, there's in Andre Rublev, there's a horse that falls. Mm-hmm. And like that movie's four hours long. And that's the thing that sticks out by far the most. A hundred percent agree. Because it falls like ten feet. Uh, it's yeah. disgusting. Yeah. It's yeah. Well, and even in this one, the you know the, they were going slightly out of sequence, but that scene later on where they push the horse into the mm-hmm. water, um, and I, I I literally freaked out. I was like, can horses swim? I can't remember horses can swim. And then the horse is like kind of swimming around a little bit in the water. Yeah, I thought but, it like, just can. cuts to it. Yeah. On the way. Exactly. And then he just sort of makes his way. So I was, I felt better. But for a minute there, I was just thought, oh my God, was, especially because, you know, this is not, I'm, the ASPCA was not on set ensuring the <laughs> uh, treatment of any animals in this movie. So. No. Not great. Yeah. Um, there's also the, like, going back to this little village that yeah. they land in, mm-hmm. uh, there's suggestion of cannibalism. Yeah. That they don't really touch on. No. They just kind of allude to it and then mm-hmm. leave because of that. Right. Did that does that mean anything to you? Like do you, does that have any deeper allegory to you guys or is it just like a touch of this is how fucked up the situation is? I mean, I think it's it could be a couple of things. I think it's a touch of that just was a stereotype, you know, or potential myth about you know legend about indigenous people and so it adds to this element of otherness and and differentness Mm -hmm. Um, but it also is maybe a sign of not things to come specifically but like this is the kind of thing that can happen when you know society turns on each other and things like that yeah or like symbolically like this area is going to eat the men yeah in a sort of way. This was like the one thing though, like I didn't fully get the reason and it felt off. 
it seems very aware of like how negative like the white people and stuff uh, that mm-hmm. they did were, and so it felt weird that they were like to outwardly expressing this otherness of yeah. It's really like completely f- untrue otherness that quite often comes up about native people. It's the one thing in the movie that kind of takes me out a little bit and mm-hmm. just like no, nah. but it, d- it definitely doesn't take away from the movie that much at all. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, so in the next scene, they're back on the boat because they, they like, get scared after they see the suggestion of cannibalism. Mm-hmm. They go on the raft again and it becomes quiet. And I love this shot because they're going down the boat and it just builds so much suspense. And the way he does mm-hmm. it is he cuts the sound and it's so quiet that you don't even hear the birds chirping anymore. Because mm-hmm. like the score to this movie, there's like the Popol Vuh score, but there's also just the soundtrack of jungle noises. And I love the repeated, like, just high-pitched whistling of the birds. Mm-hmm. So when it stops in this scene, it's so unnerving because you've gotten so used to it that it really, like, just drives up the suspense. Yeah, that was really effective. And that really seems, to me, it felt like, okay, now things, this is when things have really gotten bad. Everyone's mm. freaked out. You know, it's all, <laughs> it's all just straight downhill from here. Yeah. And f- yeah. Following this is when they have their first, like, I guess we'll call it a confirmed uh, attack by mm-hmm. the indigenous people. There's mm-hmm. there's a little bit of a hubbub with the horse freaks out. It knocks Guzman into the water. It, accel- it, it accidentally um, sets, it like kick, kicks something and the gunpowder gets set on fire. Right. They throw it in the water and it blows up and then Guzman falls. Mm-hmm. And during all yeah. that, one of the guys gets shot, I guess. with the yeah. Mm-hmm. And th- I couldn't figure out how the fire got started, but it traveled from the horse, the pile of horse crap, mm-hmm. onto the gunpowder, and um, just the way that like Agiri grabs the gunpowder and just chucks it while everyone else is like scrambling mm-hmm. is so funny. Yeah, <laughs> you know sometimes even a ruthless leader. Uh... <laughs> can step up and mm-hmm. make a necessary decision like getting that gunpowder off of the raft before they all died yeah but that is really the first scene where um to me anyway you feel like that external danger whereas mm-hmm. or at least on a rewatch the first right. time the first time i saw it i'm like oh all these things are being done by the natives and they're under mm-hmm. attack but uh this time i felt more like it's Agira doing all these things and right. the natives haven't really come into play until this point. Right. So while like now this threat has come about and they see two natives come by them on a canoe mm-hmm. and they grab them and they start talking to them. And Jana, this is like what you were saying. This, this is when uh, we start to see even some more colors of how, um, ruthless mm-hmm. how how cutthroat the the monk is yeah this scene was rough yeah uh, <laughs> just this is the toughest scene in the movie all the way right yeah it's real it, it's it's a it's a tough one and i hadn't particularly remembered like this scene that well from the first time i i watched it and so it was very upsetting just the because especially it starts off like okay they're just going to talk to these people and you know okay well i guess maybe the best even the best case scenario is like maybe they take them on as slaves but it just no immediate immediate heretics and blasphemers and ugh, 
yeah sad and and what he gets stabbed for is absurd they give him the book and Mm -hmm. he's like oh it's not talking to me right and that's that's it and they're like that's it yep you've blasphemed your dad now yeah because it wasn't you know he wasn't even really rejecting anything you know sure they probably could have taught him to read the bible and would have gone along with it but yes literally he can't understand he doesn't know how to read the bible and so when he says it's not talking to me yeah that's the end of the line i think that definitely speaks almost to like the emptiness of god in this world Mm -hmm. at least i'm not going to discount a religion in the world in general but (laughs) but in this film (laughs) in this film it definitely feels that way yeah and that's it's it's interesting because that to me is like you were saying it ties in with his line earlier about how it's all about power and how (laughs) the church has remained because it's aligned itself with power where it's like you know if you really actually cared about converting people and saving souls like you could totally do that you you know but no it's not about that it's about showing power you could spend more than two minutes trying (laughs) exactly yeah you could tell the guy what your religion is yeah so i mean guzman or not guzman god i keep getting the names oh god yeah i'll switch the the monk is yeah gaspar is as it's because they both start with a g i know and they both have six letters uh (laughs) gaspar is is as cutthroat as agira is he's as violent as agira Mm -hmm. is oh yeah he just grabs a sword and puts him on the raft, just Ugh. like it's over. And and somehow he like obviously we're judging him, but I I feel like the movie purposely doesn't play it as judging him. Mm-hmm. Um, not that the movie's on his side, but I think it, it's clever about the way that it portrays him as just being, you know. Th- this is the way it has to be like, Oh, the church has to be this way to, to be effective. Right. Yeah. So I, I, I love the way that commentary is portrayed mm-hmm. in like a more subtle way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So following that, they have um, a few more horse issues. So this is the scene that we were talking about where the horse starts going crazy and they just throw it off the raft basically. Mm-hmm. Mm. This definitely also feels like when Goosebon really gets in his head oh, yeah. about being an emperor. Mm-hmm. He's like eating a nice meal and the other people are snacking on kernels of literal, like literal kernels of corn. Yep. Mm-hmm. And he's complaining that he doesn't have salt on his meal. Right. It's like, the heck you're going to get salt? You're on a raft, buddy. Yeah. And I love one of my brother's favorite lines was uh, when he's like, at the rate we've gone, we've conquered over three times the land of Spain. <laughs> And he's like, just because you're in a raft down a river does not mean you're conquering yeah. all this land. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah, he basically now has this personal vendetta against the horse because the horse knocked him over knocked him, earlier. Yeah. yeah, so now... How dare he? Exactly. So now the horse is acting up, throw him in the water, and it's that's definitely when he loses the men who, like you said, are starving mm-hmm. and, you know, could have eaten the horse, and now they just ditched it. Yeah, the horse looks oh, so... It's so sad on like oh, I know. on the on the edge of the bank, just like watching them go by. <laughs> I know it's like horse. You're probably better off, but yeah, yeah, yeah he's just abandoned. <laughs> um, yeah, I love the horse masks. We haven't talked about the oh. a- any of the other outfits, oh, but the yeah. horse masks are great. I do you know why? Like what I I had a note about that about why the horse masks? Because I know Bugs? you know like 
Oh, maybe bugs. Yeah, because I I'm, know that like you have blinders for horses to avoid mm. them getting spooked and everything. But no, the horse, they could see, uh, but they just had the rest of their heads covered. I don't know. It looks cool. Bugs make sense. It does look cool. It looks really cool. Yeah, no, I, I really like the the costumes in the movie in general, even though I was you know saying how ridiculous mm-hmm. in practical terms, like the the dresses that the women wear are really cool. Um, the, you know, bright colors, which you wouldn't normally necessarily think of there being bright colors, but... The lavender tunic. Mm-hmm, yeah. It's a good <laughs> look. It's a strong look. Yeah. So, as as you said, um, the horse could have been used for food since the men are starving. They've been using it as kind of like a deterrent, almost, because right. mm-hmm. supposedly the natives are afraid of it. So, yeah. Guzman kind of writes his own death warrant. Mm-hmm at this point and it's another instance of the action happens off screen right and we just see that uh he's dead and Mm. he's clearly not been killed by one of the natives because he's been strangled right yeah and that i think at this point anyone watching the movie is like caught on to like what's going on like that's so obvious Mm. right yeah and especially like it seems like he was like he was like almost forced out of that stupid hut mm-hmm. that he's like he has his one bed in yeah oh that thing's the the dumbest thing i've ever seen yeah but it definitely looks like someone took him out in like the middle of the night mm-hmm. strangled a rope uh like a piece of cloth around him and you gotta know it's agiri or one of the one of the, one of the starving men who've had quite enough of this yeah yeah and in guzman dying that also seals ursua's fate Mm-hmm. Because he was the one who granted him right. pardon. Mm-hmm. So now he's going to get it. So they take him into the woods and uh, he gets hanged. That's one way to say hanged, it. Yeah. Yeah. No, my, my note here was cool. More hanging. Just mm-hmm. <laughs> hang someone in every ridiculous movie. Um, oh, yeah. That's yeah. two in a row. It really is. Yeah. And then. Poor Jenna. The, and the movie I watched last night also uh, had the, a very. It ended with a very intense hanging scene. So I'm just on a real roll with uh, this stuff. Um, but no, I, poor Ursua, like, he, he hang it, ha, ha, hung in there, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> <laughs> um, for so much longer than I thought, like, considering that I thought he was dead the second he got shot. Um, and then he goes through all of that just to. It's a really dragged know, out hanging. Get in the as end well. anyway. It's not like a drop him off, break the neck, and then choke him. <laughs> Nope, they'll just choke him. They, they, no, they, they did not do it right, as, as quote, it were. Quote, they did not do way. it in the uh, most efficient way. Exactly, exactly, the, at least the most efficient way. Um, I do have a question mm-hmm. about Ursua's wife, mistress, woman who is traveling with him. Um, is she the best female character yes. that we've had in a movie yet so far? Yes. She might be. I think she is. I made a note th- saying I yeah. think she's the best sure. and most like fleshed out mm-hmm. anyway. Because um, she because she's interesting. I think she's a really interesting character. She's trying to make some moves of her own. She's trying to talk sense into people. Um, she can more or less take care of herself and eventually yeah. decides that's what she's going to do, I guess. Uh, but I, I liked her a lot. I thought, so even though it doesn't make any sense why she would be there, I'm like, well, I'm glad she's here. Yeah, I may be a little bit more partial to Louisa from Eight and a Half mm-hmm, just due to sure. the um, amount of screen time because mm-hmm. his, his wife, is it Inez? Is that her name? Yes, Inez. Mm-hmm. 
she doesn't get that much screen time but what she does with all of her screen time like she has that conversation with the monk she has the conversation mm. with uh her husband about agira mm. and then the the scene after he gets taken away um mm. is kind of her final scene which is a great uh character exit yeah her ending yeah. is so good it's so strong basically she leaves yeah, exactly. She's had enough of this. Yeah. I don't blame her. And there's there's no one, you know, she's right to probably fear for her safety. God knows what's going to happen to her now. So yeah. she decides to take her chances. She'll walk into the jungle and figure it out from there. At least looking at the book, though, the next two movies have leading women in strong multidimensional roles. <laughs> what's after uh, Ollie? Uh, All About Eve, which is oh, right, two. Yeah. Yes insanely strong women. Yeah, that that's yeah, that's it's the best. That'll that'll catch us and up. And then a, uh, apartment with Shirley MacLaine. And then Apocalypse Now. Uh, Apocalypse Now. <laughs> sure, Apocalypse Now. It's I can't I can't remember is there a single female in Apocalypse they Now? They have we'll the naked it. dancers for the men. Oh, okay. Great. Cool. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> We're, we're do- we uh, had a good run the next three movies, and then... Yeah, that. yeah. well, you know, these are... It's a lot of older movies. What are you going to do? And yeah. male-dominated we'll, movies from a male critic. Yeah, yeah. And we'll talk about this movie, I'm sure, again, when we get to Apocalypse Now, because I'm oh, going to yeah. be yeah. curious so to see looks. him. Yeah, like, not literally back-to-back, but nearly back-to-back, because mm-hmm. that, that movie owes a lot to this one, I think. Yeah. Um, when did so, Apocalypse Now come out? What year was that? Uh, 79? I think it's 79. Yeah, it was like maybe six, seven years after this. Yeah. All right. Um, So after they land, uh, Ursula's wife walks into the woods, Mm -hmm. uh, and she's gone. The men get real excited about finding salt. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is so funny Which, that they find salt after stupid Guzman's dead. Yep. Say, <laughs> the <laughs> ultimate irony. Guzman didn't hold out quite long enough. He almost yeah. got there. Yep. And this uh, brings us to my favorite scene. Yep. <laughs> Some of the guys want to leave. Or it looks like it's just two of the guys who, are, who have the... I guess ignorance to, to vocalize right. that they want to leave. Yeah, they yeah. Seem like I don't bros. know what they thought they were gonna do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Agira, great line says that man is a head taller than me. It's really that good. May, that may change. Uh, yeah, it's it's really good. That's like that's probably the best line in the movie. It's also just a really badass way to order somebody's execution, right? Like yeah, that's yeah. So it's, a gr- it's a great way to phrase it. Yeah. And then the way he gets executed is, it's so funny. It's, <laughs> it's supposed to be funny, right? I, I think so. There's this, there's this moment, and then one more moment I wrote down towards the end here, where it seems to take a bit of a turn into full-on comedy. Like, like where it feels like something that could, that's almost more of like a Monty Python movie in terms of just the sheer ridiculousness of what's happening. I think think it has to be atten- intentionally correct. yeah it's like the most ridiculously terrifying thing to the point of it's funny it yeah it honestly reminded me a bit like house the <laughs> film yes. yeah because yeah. i'd watched vibe. that also recently with my brother mm-hmm. and it was we were both like absolutely well. scared to our shin bones and also 
laughing. Rightously laughing the whole movie, and that scene. The best kind of movie. <laughs> just with, it's like it, the the sound effect of just like, bop, and then it goes, yeah, like rolling across the ground and just stops face up. Ten. 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 Yeah, anything with a severed like where. I think of House too. Anytime where there's like a severed head that is mm-hmm. still just sort of going about his business, <laughs> it's always funny. I've had to show a lot of restraint uh, by not littering my Twitter feed with pictures of a decapitated head because I've thought of so many dumb jokes of just like, what would you, what would you give uh, Agura on a scale out of ten? <laughs> ten. ten. <laughs> Yeah, there's the there's that there's that moment, and then the one that's right after it, um, yes. when they're later on. There's a not later on. The movie's almost over, but <laughs> in the subsequent scene when they are getting attacked on the raft, and there's a moment where the guy, one, the one guy gets shot with the long spear, and he's like, "What does he say?" He's like, "Long arrows are so fashionable right now," and then yeah. falls over and dies. And that's when I was like, "Okay, this is a Monty Python sketch. Like, what, what yeah. is happening at the end of this movie?" Or the guy's like, "The raft isn't real. The, the sky isn't real." And he gets shot. He's like, "The arrow isn't arrow real. Is it, real. It's just yeah. a figment of our fear." And then. Right. Gary just comes bolting out of the side screen like that shit is real damn it. he shoots a massive cannonball right next to the guy he yeah. doesn't even flinch it's so funny yeah, all, all the losing their mind stuff is uh it's really great. it's really great yeah I like it. like everything about that yeah okay uh, we have to yes, go sir. back a little bit yes, though sir. because I, do, I don't want to skip the speech that he gives oh, which is of one course. of my favorite speeches in mm-hmm. cinema history do you have it written down uh, I, I pulled it up on uh, IMDb. Nice. Go for it. So he says, I'm the great traitor. There must be no other. And this is the scene where I, I, like, I've seen it in English and German. I think it works mm-hmm. better in, in, in German. I am the great traitor. There must be no other. Anyone who even thinks about deserting this mission will be cut up into 198 pieces. Those pieces will be stamped on until what is left can only be used to paint walls. Whoever takes one grain of corn or one drop of water more than his ration will be locked up for 155 years. If I, Agira, want the birds to drop dead from the trees, then the birds will drop dead from the trees. I am the wrath of God. The earth, will, the earth I pass will see me and tremble. But whoever follows me in the river will win on untold riches. Uh, Such specific I, numbers, <laughs> which is so the, funny. The numbers are insane. I love like we haven't really talked yeah. about the way Agira talks. Almost everything he says is said sort of poetically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you guys want to try like, to mock his voice? Do any of you guys have a good Klaus Kaninsky impression? I, I do not. I do oh, not. Oh, absolutely not. Yeah, absolutely that, not. That is not a good thing to try to impersonate. No. Um, but I, I also, the, the specificity of the numbers in that speech <laughs> is great. That it's just, it's very evocative. It really uh, paints a picture. <laughs> that, that were made up go. of stamped on pieces. Of, mm, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah and then exactly. enough for Robert De Niro to paint the walls and the Irishman. Ooh, yeah. Exactly. Yep. Or he used to paint the walls. Yeah, there yeah. you go. I heard you. Paint the walls with yes. stamped on pieces. Stamped on pieces. <laughs> that have already been cut up 198 times. God. Which, what are they going to stamp on it with? They left their last horse, damn it. Yes, there you go. Well, you know, he's got he's got some boots on. He'll do it himself. Yeah, I'm sure. exactly. It'll be like a wine pot where the yeah. I exactly. love Lucy's like likes the grapes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, this is gross. Too gross. Too gross. Um, oh. So- Speaking of gross, uh, one scene that I have written after this, um, and it's it's just it, it doesn't have anything to do with the plot, but 
it's another instance of showing the men's hunger and mm-hmm. that that's sort of something that I, I wish they if they would have put this in earlier in the movie we would have had a better idea of how uh, desperate they are in terms mm-hmm. of like seeking out food because they don't really touch on it until later in the movie but right. the men are like digging the algae off the boat to eat it yeah oh that's which is, so gross it's gross. disgusting which yeah. is such a great visual metaphor for how yeah. desperate they are I wish mm-hmm. they would have put it a little bit earlier in the movie because it would have uh-huh. made all all of their it would have ratcheted up to me a lot of like the the immediacy of, of their needing to find food. Yeah, I definitely didn't realize for so for a long time how starving they were supposed to be or how mm. out of food. I mean, it makes sense. Obviously, they're stuck on a raft. They don't know where their food's going to be coming from. But I I had wondered if I'd missed something too because by the end it becomes like the biggest deal that they have mm. no food. That I had wondered. I'm like, was that mentioned earlier? So I, I wish it had been seated a little bit more. Yeah. What do you guys think about the mouse um, scene? There's a, a mother mouse who carries off two baby mice. Do you think that that means anything, or is it just? I don't. I, don't, hers I have absolutely something. no idea what that means. I the thing it just means to me personally, given my reaction to this movie, is like this mice is like this dude's too fucking crazy. I need to get <laughs> right, the, the hell out of this rat. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's maybe maybe it's like a rat's off a sinking ship kind of thing, right? That's a metaphor oh, yeah. for rats uh, uh. flee a sinking ship, and that's how you know everything's gone badly. I that just I thought of that right now at the time. I just went, ooh, mice! Like I didn't have a good point. <laughs> yeah, the baby mice were kind of cute as as yeah, they are gross looking as they can be. We got two cute baby animals in this, so yeah. I'm happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which which make up for the bush baby that we never saw in 2001. <laughs> exactly. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah okay, bring- what's what's the crazier daughter asking for a gift? <laughs> asking for a bush baby from a man in space or a baby slot that she has nowhere to take care of? Yeah. <laughs> I, still, the 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 space present for sure because at least yeah. here they are in the jungle and you know no, now now's not the time to take on a sloth pet but at least you're in nature. And yeah, she does can't... get it. the The bush True. baby like doesn't even come to fruition as far as we know because yeah. he's yeah. in space. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> um, I will say, just circling back, I pulled up the IMDb page. Mm-hmm. IMDb trivia for you. Francis Ford Coppola cited this film as an influence on Apocalypse Now. Mm-hmm. That's sure. it. That's the trivia. <laughs> so Which, there you go. I wonder IMDb if we pull the up, rescue with that information. <laughs> I wonder if we pull up the Aguirre Wrath of God trivia, if it'll say, based on the novel The Heart of Darkness by... <laughs> oh, God. What is the author's name? I had to do this in 11th grade. Oh, I can't remember. Uh, I have not it's, read it. It's uh, Joseph Conrad. Thank oh, you. thank you. Oh, my God. I, know, I was like, that's as far as I got. I'm embarrassing myself today. <laughs> so I like when I watched the mouse scene, I'm like, oh, it's a visual metaphor for like maternal instinct and caring. And I'm like, wait a minute. That has nothing to do with this. Movie. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. It's like, oh, what a nice little moment of, you know, yeah. Animal family unity. And yeah, no, but there, there is no other family units really in this movie whatsoever. Yeah, Gary um, and his daughter, which he actually seems wow, to care a lot for his daughter. In the Maybe very first much. scene, yeah, in the very first scene, he's like actively yeah. trying to help her down, and then he gives her the baby sloth. There's like all these moments that it's like kind of surprising that. Yeah, yeah, that that relationship does uh, also take a turn. It takes a turn. Although yeah, by it's th- it's after she Exa- dies, exactly at, at that exactly at that point it's all 
mm. moot anyway. Thank oh. God. I knew uh, I had it. I knew I had it somewhere in okay. <laughs> In in my office, it's oh, there other, you than, go. It, other than the Ebert book, it's the only book sitting on this desk. Wow, are, are you going to um, read it uh, before we I've, watch Apocalypse Now? Uh, no, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's not I mean, even I'm, mine. It's my wife's. I've I've never read it. I've uh, never read it either. No, my, my I luckily did not have to do that even in high school English. No, I'll probably pair Apocalypse Now with uh, Hearts of Darkness. Oh, sure, um, of course. Instead. I still need to see that. Maybe I'll get around to watching yeah, I do that. Too. Um, yeah. Oh, oh, what I was going to say uh, okay. what the mouse made me think of is that um like w- whether or not it was it was a, a metaphor for anything meaningful or whether it was just something that Herzog captured and, and liked. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that we haven't really talked about yet is uh, the use of the camera, like the style of the camera mm-hmm. in this movie. Oh yeah. Because it feels in Herzog's a documentarian. It, this movie feels such like a documentary. Like uh, the, the camera movements and placements never feel planned. Like compare this to something like 2001, where right. everything is so like kind of meticulously placed in this. Mm-hmm. The camera just feels like it's another guy wandering around, and sometimes mm-hmm. the lens gets wet, and it's just you know, like whatever. The, yeah. the lens is going to get wet. Yeah, I, have, I always have jungle. mixed feelings about that in narrative movies when, like, something gets on the lens because it does, you know, obviously reminds you that there is a camera lens. But mm-hmm. it definitely fit uh, with this and, like you said, Herzog's documentary style. I am to be trivia to the rescue once again. Werner Herzog did not storyboard a single frame of the film. It was all shot and framed spontaneously. It's like, yeah, well, that, that tracks. Yeah. Are you guys familiar with Masterclass? Like the, the mm-hmm. online classes? Yeah. So he does one of those. Oh and uh, it says that storyboards are tools for cowards. Sure. Sure. I want to watch him and Bong Joon-ho have I that debate. I was just about to say right? Yeah. I want to. Him, get, yeah, him and Bong Joon-ho debating the relative merits of storyboarding. Yeah. Um, like, th- this movie, um, I think so many people could have made, like, a very similar story to this, mm-hmm. but it it has such a Herzog touch to it. It feels, like, very chaotic and anarchic because mm-hmm. it must have been, um, which mm-hmm. I, I, I love that about this movie. Like, there so many movies have this kind of, like, this or the heart of darkness type narrative where, all right, we're on a journey like to some messed up place and we have mm-hmm. to find this thing, the, this, whatever MacGuffin. Um, but the way it's, the way it unfolds is so very Herzog. And yeah. And it's, I, just, yeah. I love it. It's also so underproduced. Like none of it is f- loud or in your face, mm-hmm. or even mm-hmm. if it was like quiet sinisterness, it's not like these, super like up close camera shots of like snarling eyes as they talk softly it's just like mm-hmm. he does like he said like you said he films it in a documentary style and it makes you feel like you're just one of these like sick passengers in this sick mm-hmm. mission in this sick place that they don't belong in with the court guard that they're wearing yeah mm-hmm. it's crazy yeah which um since we're talking about them being sick and we feel as if we're one of the men being sick, um, that kind of leads us to the final scene where mm-hmm. the monk says that somebody somebody was sick and drank his ink because he thought it was medicine, <laughs> so he can't even write anymore. Mm-hmm. They're starving. They're starting to hallucinate. And this shot that 
I think is incredible is one of the men says there's a ship in that tree. Mm-hmm. Oh and yeah. The other the other guy says, "Oh, it's your imagination. The tides never go that high." Mm-hmm. And we we see from his point of view, and there's a ship in the tree. Mm-hmm. Right. So is it real? Like oh, it's we real. see. We see it too. Right, so is it real it. or are we all hallucinating? Is it like a, a folly ado type thing mm-hmm. that's involving the audience? I think the ship is at the tree. I think yeah. it's just like how ridiculous this landscape has been for them and how out of touch like bringing ships or people into this unprepared is just so dumb. Right. I, I think either interpretation works. I think either like the shared hallucination, you know, we're seeing it too. That interpretation totally works. And then also the like, this is a sign of a previous voyage that went just as wrong, you know, <laughs> where the ship got like hurled into the sky and ended up in the tree in some big, you know, whirlpool storm. Um, you know, I either way, it's uh, not good for them. It, it kind of reminds me of... Um like the frogs in Magnolia where uh, it's not, yeah. it's not really explained. It's just like the most absurd thing mm-hmm. and you're just going to have to deal with it. I, 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 I love that shot and I love that we actually see the yeah. the boat in the tree rather than just some guy mentioning a boat mm-hmm. in a tree. I, th- totally. I think that makes it like the scene doesn't work without the actual boat there. Mm-hmm. Which, how did they put the boat there? <laughs> Yeah, that is that is the real question, which is okay. So assuming well whether it's real or not, there's a boat in that tree, right? <laughs> like I have questions. Yeah, and it didn't look like it was a miniature or like a matte painting or something like that. So I'm Her guessing song would that never maybe it's the same boat from <laughs> Fitzcarraldo. It didn't look quite yeah, that big, right. but <laughs> yeah. so uh while they're we've kind of talked about the scene like about where they're oh that's that is no ship. That is no forest. That is no arrow. So they're all just getting attacked, yeah. and uh, they're all they're all very much dying. Mm-hmm. And something I've forgotten to mention in the past attacks is I love how there's like no added sound effect of like a whip of a bow or mm-hmm. anything. Right. It's like the quietest attack is just like the arrows just like land in someone. All of a sudden, they're in. Yeah, oh, there it's that guy's now been shot. That's dead. Yeah, and most of it them doesn't... you don't even see him go in. It's just like the camera like cuts and up oh, the arrows in his face now. Right. It's not, it doesn't have that, I think, of Indiana Jones with sort of like the mm-hmm. noises that the darts or arrows or things. <laughs> you got to exactly and then a... Exactly. Instead, like you said, it's just you see someone and they've already, they're already dead before yeah. you even know what happened. And I think that's intentional. Like um, that and the choice to, I don't think we ever see the natives when they're under attack. There's no. like a couple scenes where we see brief glimpses of them, but it's mm-hmm. not when the one guy dies from a poison arrow at this scene at the end, we don't mm-hmm. really, we don't ever see like people with bows, um, like pulling them back. Right. And it gives the sense that it's not just the natives doing that. It's mm-hmm. the jungle itself, which is right. a very like Herzog, uh, <laughs> thing about like the, the baseness of nature. Right. Um, it makes it feel like it's not just the indigenous people going after them. It's the whole jungle is attacking mm-hmm. them. Yeah. So all the men die. Um, the monk gets shot. His daughter gets shot. Mm-hmm. Spider monkeys <laughs> rain down on the ship. 
<laughs> you know, the, the spider monkeys re- reclaim their natural dominance, I suppose. It's, I love that whole scene. Yeah, and Gary like, just, like, swarming. trying to chase him down. And he's, oh, like, God. so bad at it. There's so many of them, too. There's so many. Well, I think he had to... It's on the Wikipedia page. He had to mm-hmm. procure, like, 400 That's of them or something says. like that. Yeah, Wikipedia says that they had to... Uh, Pay, he paid several locals to trap 400 of the monkeys oh for the final sequence. Wow. And, uh, and then there was like a doesn't... smuggling issue and he had to yeah. like bribe someone to try to get them back. Uh, unsurprisingly, it was difficult trying to <laughs> get these monkeys. Yeah, he, so he he paid trappers to catch them. This, uh, this is just from Wikipedia. Uh, he paid trappers to catch them. They were going to sell them to someone to someone else. So he went uh, to where they were, like, right before they shipped. He pretended to be a vet and said that the monkeys all need vaccinations before they left the country. Oh, my God. And he basically just stole them. That's great. <laughs> good, oh, good, good resourceful filmmaking. He's, he, he, we'll, we'll get into a little bit more behind the scenes in, in a couple minutes. But yeah. basically... Um, the monkeys overtake the ship. He grabs one of them and does like a an last poor York type speech so to good. it. And it's crazy speech. Says he's gonna take over the continent. He's gonna have a pure bloodline with his daughter. Yep. Who's, who's she's not, already dead at this point. Yeah, yeah. Who's no longer with us, so we yeah. don't <laughs> have to worry about her yeah. her safety is a moot point by now. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> weird, weird weird question. And I don't, I don't know how much this is actually true, but is there anything that we should dig from a German man waltzing around in a uniform, com- complaining that he's gonna take a cu- entire oh, continent and have a pure race, uh, and a continent for his own? I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I that mean, has it's... any illusion, but it, <laughs> it could. It's not unreasonable. I... Yeah. No. I mean, I, I think it's. You know, you can't really ignore sort of, but it's also the grand history, right? Of like awful European conquerors yeah. from mm-hmm. this time and through to the 20th century. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's that uh, kind of speech metaphor is working on a few levels, mm-hmm. all of which work. And I assume all of which were intentional. It feels like yeah. it would hard for them not to have been. Mm-hmm. And then um, after the speech, we get just like a, I guess it's a helicopter shot, just kind of like swinging around mm-hmm. the boat. Such a dope shot. And, uh, yeah, it looks great. And as far as I can tell, uh, he managed to do all that. He found El Dorado and yeah. lived happily ever after. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Sailed <laughs> down that river until he uh, found his riches. and He's got the gold. I, lo- I love, um, it's a speech that he makes uh, a little bit before this where he's like, I don't even care about the gold. Mm-hmm. I, I yeah. just want the power. Right. Yeah. And he, he gets to the gates of El Dorado. And they open up. And then, hola, soy Dora. <laughs> yeah, Dora got there first. Uh, so that's the movie. There's one thing I want to talk about, um, just like a behind-the-scenes story. Mm-hmm. And that is, there's there's uh, like a legend behind the making of this movie where uh, the director Herzog and Kinski, his actor, had a contentious enough relationship <laughs> that despite having worked together a lot of times, Herzog later made a movie about Kinski called My Best Fiend. Mm-hmm. Mm. And at some point during this movie, they were arguing. And the story goes that Herzog pulled a gun 
and threatened to kill Kinski and then himself if he walked off the set. And there's an interview later where Herzog is asked about it. And he said, that story's like an exaggeration. I told him I would do that. There wasn't an actual gun. So I didn't actually, I didn't actually pull a gun on him. But I would have done it. <laughs> yeah. That's the funniest thing is usually directors will like take down like rumors and be like, mm-hmm. that's false. Mm-hmm. He doesn't. He just goes, that's false. I didn't have the gun, but I still threatened to kill yeah. him. Right. And yeah. then exactly. myself. It, it's only, only false because I didn't happen to have a gun on me in that That's moment. the only thing. <laughs> Otherwise, it tracks. Yeah. And my, my favorite part is not just, oh, yeah, I said it. It's, oh, I was going to do it. Like, <laughs> yeah. And make, then, make, like, no mis- make no mistake. And then again in Fitzcarraldo, I think they mentioned it in the Ebert book where an extra was like seeing him and Kaninsky go at it. He's like... Dude, I'll kill Kaninsky for you. If you like. <laughs> yeah. He's crazy. And Werner Herzog solemnly said no. Yeah, please don't. <laughs> How did they work together five times and not either kill themselves or yeah. think we should stop working together at this point? I don't know, but uh, I'm glad they didn't because I like the three things I've seen them together in. Yeah. Um, what were the other two movies they were in together besides those three? Uh... Uh, Cobra Verde and was Strike Check the other one that they did together? I don't know. Is Letterboxed uh, up yet? We're in the middle of a Letterboxed blackout <laughs> and we're all in a panic. It's really, it's really ruining oh, Dylan's day. It's White Check. Oh, oh okay. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Um, nice. Uh, do you guys have quotes pulled from the Ebert book that you have starred as... Uh, your best ones while you while you grab yours i'll, I'll pull out Come mine on, it's, yeah. it's from the very like the second last paragraph he says he uh talking about herzog he says he does not want to tell a plotted story or record amusing dialogue he wants to lift us up into the realms of wonder mm-hmm. which uh, i think that's a perfect summation of what this movie is and kind of herzog's whole approach to cinema although i don't know if wonder is the exact word it's like yeah kind of like a, ho- a horrible wonder mm-hmm. i actually started that and was like i do not agree with this because <laughs> i found it insanely amusing this time because of how stupid all these white people are <laughs> and i found no wonder in them actually trying to take it over and failing terribly i just kind of felt like humorous disgust which i mean ebert i'm not gonna disagree with ebert i really don't want to disagree with ebert that's like the you're asking for it if you try to do that but <laughs> i just had a different interpretation of the movie than he did in that line what uh what other quotes did you guys have marked i had that one and then the one i also that i mentioned earlier where he talks mm-hmm. about how you know he doesn't uh fill the journey with artificial episodes of suspense and action um the only and i also the second the sort of end of that paragraph you were reading before where he mentions 2001 and apocalypse now basically saying that they sim- had a similar effect in terms of wonder and, and vision um and then talks about the direct talks about the directors and says um well i'm also just noticing here that he 
also references our buddy Oliver Stone. Um, but then he says, <laughs> "I have I'm, I'm just, so I'm gonna, many we can just ignore, angry yeah, notes we on can that just, one line. We, we can just ignore that reference. Um, but I do like that he says there's a kind of saintly madness in the way they talk about their work. They cannot be bothered with conventional success because they reach for transcendence. Um, which I think is a good line. I also might quibble with, you know, I think I, I rolled saying, in that line. <laughs> I think sometimes saying that, oh, they, they just can't be bothered with conventional success because they're going for transcendence is kind of an easy way to excuse things that aren't always successful. Not like financially successful, but just that yeah. don't always hold together. Mm. Um, but I think it is a fair, I think it's a fair thing to say of Herzog, which is that he takes big swings to put it in a less poetic way i i still can't get i still can't get over the line of among active directors the one who seems as messianic is oliver stone i was so mad i was actively (laughs) mad and i i I just thought about nick thinking of that line as he thinks of natural born killers and how much he absolutely loves Uh, that movie uh it's a good movie Uh uh-huh uh uh I'm uh, trying to think of something real sarcastic to say, but I can't. I do not like that movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, my line was, um, I th- what Herzog sees in the story, I think, is what he finds in many of his films, and I think a lot of the films that Ebert likes specifically. Men haunted by a vision of great achievement who commit the sin of pride by daring to reach for it and are crushed by an, Im- an implicable, u- oh my God, I can say that word, universe. When was this uh, review written? Does it say in the book? It well, doesn't. I don't, I don't know. I wish it would. On, the, on, his, on his website, the publication date for this is 1999. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's when Ebert used the Oliver Stone comp in 99? <laughs> that actually is a great point. That is actually this is not. Worse. This is not even like peak Oliver Stone, yeah, which I still don't even the... like. But not, it's not the platoon and JFK days. Yeah. I want to look. That's like, is that any given Sunday era Oliver Stone? <laughs> yeah, actually. That's another Oliver Stone movie I've seen. Any given Sunday. I haven't seen that. I've seen his great movies, quote unquote. I think they're terrible. All of no, them. I've only seen Any Given Sunday and <laughs> Savages. I'm a real. <laughs> yeah, so, so this is uh, Any Given Sunday was the same year U-Turn, Nixon, Natural Born Killers were the handful before this. And he's messianic. <laughs> And I can't believe he can't think of another messianic director, <laughs> or even good. Anyway, I need to get. Uh, we're gonna get into another Jean Luc Godard rant here. And I just watched Faces in Places a day ago, so. So you're getting off it. Just uh, mad at him, yeah. Yeah. Um. Something I was kind of frustrated with Ebert with, which is, if anyone picks up these books, the first four, um, it, movies, the images he accompanies them with is the goddamn ending of the movie. The 2001 one is the star child. The 400 blows one is him in front of the ocean. The eight and a half one is them dancing in the circle. The 400 and the Aguirre oh rap of God is right. the daughter with the arrow in her chest. And Aguirre oh, being she like, does have what the F? I know, I didn't notice that. I, I remember looking at this picture being like, it looks like he's threatening her. Like the And I, it's like, I don't remember that. But it, oh no, it's because she's already dead. <laughs> is the yeah. Ali picture from the end too? Uh, not, not the vinyl shot, but the penultimate scene. I I think it is the penultimate scene. It could also be earlier in the movie. I don't know exactly, but it's if yeah. it's the scene. I think we're both assuming it is because there's a couple scenes of them hugging. 
but it, right. it looks like the penultimate scene. Yeah, I'm no not spoilers, sure. Jana. That's uh, fine. They hug at some point. Whoa. All about Eve is not. Yeah, yeah I was gonna say I was now thinking. I'm going through. I'm like, okay, it, it gets better after that. And then apartment, it's the like. Towards the beginning. Probably the beginning. Yeah. I think it's yeah. the opening scene, right, with the him in the ma- like massive called working center. We're gonna have to graph this out, I think. Yeah. This is definitely something to graph. Um, yeah, I just I realized that the last time I was flipping through the book and was just like, Ebert, buddy, pick a different picture. Mm. Granted, I know everyone knows the Star Child and stuff, but you could do better. Yeah. All right, rating time. Uh, Gina. Oh, sorry. Um, uh, thumbs up, obviously, by the way. Yes. Thumbs, um, up. It's, it's thumbs up. Four st- it's four stars from me. I love this movie. It holds up. Um, of the ones we've watched so far, it's probably the one that I'm most likely to like rewatch the soonest just because it is so entertaining. Um, yeah, I love it. How many stars for you, Dylan? Uh, four. Yeah. All right. It's 12 stars total because I am <laughs> given four stars too. I, yes. I have so much fun with this movie. It's insane. Yeah. Like, this is one of the craziest movies. Yeah. I, I just adore it. Mm-hmm. All righty. Uh, well, you can follow us at Great Movies Pod on Twitter and Letterboxd if, if they're not down by the time we release this. They've been down the entire day today. Ah! Um, <laughs> Please uh, subscribe to us and rate us on whatever podcatcher you're listening on because it helps our exposure and helps new listeners find us. And thanks, as always, to our buddy Scott Brady for our podcast artwork. You can find him on Twitter at Artist. And stay tuned. Next week, we are moving on to our fifth movie. We are staying in Germany and staying with a Werner. It is Rainer Werner <laughs> Fassbenders, Ali, Fear Eats the Soul. Which is not a Muhammad Ali documentary, in case anyone else was confused. <laughs> and it's not a horror movie. I, I thought it was a horror movie. Here. Yeah, and I, I thought it was a Muhammad Ali documentary, too. Absolutely terrifying. So it's none of those things. No, it's a drama romance. Yeah. Yeah, it's Swedish. Swedish? Sweet-ish. Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, uh, that was probably a horrible way to say it. <laughs> I knew what you meant. <laughs> There's... Some sweet and better sweetened it, so it's sweet ish. Gotcha. We'll come back next week for that one. I'm sorry, I won't do it again. (laughs) We'll get to some Swedish movies. Oh, yeah. I'm sure. Alrighty. Roger out. Roger Roger out. out. And when I go to the movies, I am that person on the screen. I am having vicariously an experience that happened to someone else. And that makes me a better person, that to see good films and to see important films is one of the most profoundly civilized experiences that we can have as people.